go, yes, we roll. Take 360 degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. High, high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. High, high. Welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine. Produced, hosted, and engineered by apprentices from the KPFA First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Today we'll focus on labor and the impact that it has on everyone's lives, past, present, and future, and the complicated relationship between the employer and employee. On tonight's show, we'll learn about Restaurant Opportunity Center United, or ROC, and their mission to improve wages and working conditions for restaurant workers. We'll also learn about an important case that may change labor relationship if or when it passes. And we'll hear from Western Service Workers Association. All that and more tonight on Full Circle. We are your host. I'm Dennis Dominus Roos. And I am Silvia Torres. Keep it locked right here on KPFA. Greetings, everyone. This is Full Circle on KPFA. Let's get on with the show. The first piece I would like to introduce is one of our group mates that I am sure you have had the pleasure of listening to before here on Full Circle. That is Audio Desperado, Ephraim Culber. Now, Audio Desperado has been working in the service industry for many years. He has he has always been interested in workers' rights and the fair treatment of restaurant workers. Up next, he speaks with Evelyn and Sophia from ROC United or Restaurant Opportunity Center United. Take a listen. KPFA Full Circle, this is Audio Desperado, Ephraim Colbert, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Evelyn and Sophia of the Restaurant Opportunity Center, Bay Area, located in Oakland, California. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi, we're excited to be here today. All right. So I've known about uh, the Restaurant Opportunity Center for a little while now. Could you maybe expand on it for our audience? Yes, our center, it started in 2013 in the Bay Area, and it started as a result of a need for restaurant workers to organize as the local restaurant industry was increasingly becoming more popular, especially in Oakland. And so with an increase in the number of restaurants that are available, there's also an increase in the need for a workforce to work in those restaurants. And we know that the industry is plagued with countless abuses, uh, labor abuses. And so our center is really a um, an antidote to that exploitation by providing opportunities for workers to organize and create collective power. And would you like to add to that, Sophie? Yes. So we are actually part of a national organization called the Restaurant Opportunity Center United. We have uh, local chapters across the country, so we are one of the 10 local chapters and our national mission is to improve wages and working conditions for restaurant workers across across the U.S. What have been some of the successes that you've had since being established in 2013? 
We worked with a coalition uh, to pass uh, Measure FF, which increased the minimum wage in Oakland. Um, and right now, the minimum wage is twelve eighty six an hour. And so, uh, we're also working with some of our same partners in that coalition to enforce the minimum wage and make sure that the most exploitable workers have access to the information and know their rights about what kind of labor protections are available for them, especially in the city of Oakland. Measure FF also added protections to service charges, um, explaining that they cannot be used and taken by management and have to be distributed to the workers who provided the service. Yeah, and actually the city of Oakland is one of the few cities in the country that has regulations for service charges. And we know that that's a rising trend in the industry in making sure that when a customer was charged for service charges and the expectation was that uh, the servers and the folks who prepared the food was going to get um, the service charge, that they actually had access to those <laughs> I mean, that's great to hear. I wasn't aware of that, that that wasn't a thing that was happening around the nation. It's also great to hear that really went into effect in our own community of Oakland. Mm-hmm. So you also provide services with class training, correct? Yes, we do. We have we currently run a job training program called Colors Hospitality for Workers Institute, or CHOW. And it's a, we have three levels, a service 101, service 201, and a bartending 101 class directed at low-wage workers of color to help them move up the ladder in the industry and really see the industry as a career path with mobility to higher paid positions, specifically targeted towards fine dining restaurants. How would people get involved or how would they learn more? Yes, so we will be having our next classes starting at the end of March. That is our Service 101, Service 201, and Bartending 101 classes in both Oakland and San Francisco. To get more information, you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ROC Bay Area, or you can email me at sophia.m at rockunited.org. So we're currently able to train approximately 100 workers per year through our partnership with different restaurant employers. But one of the things we're very excited about is that uh, at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, we're opening a restorative justice center where we will have the opportunity to train a lot more workers. And it's also going to be an organizing center for Oakland. um, And it's going to be... centered. It's going to be located in the heart of Oakland, and we're calling it Restore Oakland. And it's really a model that we're developing with the Ella Baker Center for Human Rights on how do you actually create a sustainable economic development that doesn't displace people of color, that doesn't displace poor people, and that actually creates economic opportunities that lead to self-sufficiency and autonomy. And we're also going to have an entire floor of the building as a space for formerly incarcerated people to be able to re-enter into the workforce and also to have space for healing and regeneration. And it's a way to try to address the recidivism of the prison system and to shift resources away from that system into our communities. That is wonderful work that you're doing and I look forward to learning more about the center as it's, is it still in development right now or it's finishing its final developments? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Rock United and Ella Baker Center came together and created a partnership to be able to 
purchased this building. We've just purchased the building. Right now we're renovating it and preparing it to open this restorative justice center that I spoke about and also to open a colors restaurant. And so Rock United currently has two restaurants operating around the country, one in New York and one in Detroit. And this is going to be our third restaurant that is used primarily as a training center and an organizing space for low-wage immigrant workers of color. So that as we build their skills to be able to move up career ladders in the industry, we also create the space for uh, them to build power and uh, create accountability measures with their employers. And it's projected to be open um, at the end of this year or beginning of next year. Excellent. And you also host events that will address these issues and bring in guest speakers, correct? Yes, we're currently partnering with Access. Uh, it's a reproductive justice organization uh, to bring any, a community teaching event that will highlight the intersection of really creating dignif- dignified workplaces and jobs that allow workers to support their families and to also have workplace conditions that are conducive to dignity and that are not conducive to exploitation, which is what we see a lot of in the restaurant industry. All the work that you're doing is so positive, and it's really good to have people who are looking out for the better of people who have been taken advantage of. And I love the work you do because myself, I I have a history of, you know, working in the fine dining restaurant industry all different aspects for at least 10 plus years now and so i mean that's what it had attracted me to you from the beginning awesome (laughs) (laughs) um i'd also like to talk about uh uh, sanctuary restaurants um it is a surging movement of um, restaurant employers and workers and consumers throughout the country that is really coming together to uh, protect uh, vulnerable groups that are being attacked by the current administration. And we currently have about 120 employers who have signed up to be part of SanctuaryRestaurants.org. And the and Sanctuary Restaurants is really a commitment uh, from employers to uh, create a workplace environment that is uh, free of sexual harassment, discrimination, and that that really uplifts uh, the the workers in their um, that really uplifts their workers, and and that's and we're officially launching the this campaign. So we're going to be launching the, the campaign this year, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, that's sanctuaryrestaurants.org. We are here with the Restaurant Opportunity Center Bay Area based out of Oakland. Thank you so much for your time, ladies. I've been speaking with Evelyn and Sophia. We appreciate your time. Thank Thank you you for having us. Welcome back to Full Circle here on 94.1 KPFA. You just heard Adio Desperado in his interview with Restaurant Opportunity Center. You know, Dennis, that's exactly what we need. We need young people to get involved in movement with direct shock action. Remember, a plan without action is just a dream. The treatment of laborers in the past is what sparked the labor movement in the past. It may be a hard road ahead, but don't let it budge you. Martin Luther King said it best. If you can fly, then run. If you can run, then walk. If you can walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, you have to keep moving forward. 
Yes, that is so very true in these times. Okay, next we have Sylvia Torres in an interview with Jonathan Siegel, a labor lawyer from Oakland. They will be bringing, up, bringing us up, up to date on an important case, Fredericks versus California Teachers Association, that will affect the future of labor unions. So stay tuned. Tonight, I'm in conversation with Jonathan Siegel. Um, Jonathan, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. I'm a labor lawyer here in uh, Oakland. I've been practicing labor law since 1980 or so. Uh, my firm is Siegel, Witter Malkani. We represent a number of labor unions in the Bay Area, and uh, we also represent individuals and classes of individuals in employment litigation. I also try to involve myself at different times with community coalitions, like going, going back many years, the, uh, the Bay Area Plant Closure Project. Jonathan, our program today is based on union movements and labor movement. And as a lawyer, I would like to, for you to explain some terms that sometimes we hear them, but we don't really understand the implications and what they actually means, like lit litigation, amicus, uh, brief. Happy to. Um Litigation really just describes the process where lawsuits are filed and processed, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, people file legal briefs, people make arguments in court, the court makes rulings, all that is kind of under the terminology litigation. An amicus brief is a brief when there's an important issue, uh, sometimes people who are not directly involved in the case want to express their perspective on why it's important and how the court should rule. What they do then is they file what's called a, an amicus brief. It's sometimes also called a friend of the court brief. And basically it's a group uh, of people who get involved in trying to express their view of a, of a situation to the court to influence them when they think especially the issue in the court is is one of important policy beyond just the simple, simple case in front of the court. When somebody file an amicus brief, what implications does that have? I think the best way to answer that would be to give an example of a case. And I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the Fredericks case, so let me give you an example of that. Um, the Fredericks case out of California came through the United States Court in California and the United States Court of Appeal in California, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeal, and went to the United States Supreme Court, and it had to do with Uh, the right of public sector labor organizations to require that people that are in bargaining units they represent, groups of workers they represent, to either pay union dues and join the union or at the very least pay what's called a service fee. That is, pay a fee to the union for the service the union provides in negotiating their, their terms and conditions of employment. So that's an important case that has implications not just for the particular unions that are involved in the case, because if the court were to, were to rule the right way, uh, it, would, it would maintain the right of the pro, uh, public sector unions to charge either dues or service fees to everybody in the group they represent. And it's been a target of right-wing groups to, to take away that right, to say that if people don't want to join the union uh, who work in a public sector job, they don't have to, and therefore they don't have to pay any money to the union for any services rendered by the union. They should just get the benefits of what the union negotiates for the group without any payment at all. So anyway, that's an example of a case, and I can talk a little bit more about it. But in that case, there's many people who are concerned about the implications of, of the ruling of the court, and they form coalitions 
to file uh, extra briefs, amicus briefs, with the court, in this case the Supreme Court, expressing their perspective on what the ruling should be and what the law should be. Um, these kind of briefs can be very significant. They can influence the court because uh, they can bring up arguments that the people who are directly involved in the case uh, aren't able to bring up, don't have the resources to bring up, or the space. They can bring up policy arguments. They can bring up more, you know, far afield kind of arguments. And they can be influential to the members of the court. They also tend to show who cares about the issue. So, for example, in the uh, Fredericks case, you might have the particular... Uh, labor union that is the party to the case. I think it was the California Teachers Association. But then you might have in the amicus briefs, you might have the whole labor movement, the AFL-CIO, file their own brief to ex express why it's important. Or you might have, uh, I'm not sure if they took a stand, or, you know, in some cases you get the American Civil Liberties Union, or you get, in, uh, on the other side, you get coalitions of manufacturers and business coalitions, Chamber of Commerce, and so all these different groups get to sort of show their colors and show their politics to the court and why they think the results should come out a certain way. Jonathan, thank you. I'm glad that you mentioned the Frederick case because I was researching the case and I came across some of these terms. So if, can you give us a little bit more background and more information? Sure. The issue in the Frederick's case is going back to, I think it's the 70s, there was a decision by the United States Supreme Court that said for uh, employees who work for public entities at any level, um, they can be organized into unions, and if, they, if there's a bargaining unit that is a group of workers who are represented by a union in a particular place, you know, all the, all the bus mechanics for the San Francisco Muni or whoever it is, as an example, uh, once the union is certified as the representative, the union can negotiate with the employer that everyone who is in the group they represent either has to pay union dues and join the union, or they have to pay... Um, a service fee to the union to pay the union to compensate the union for the fact that the union spends resources on representing them, negotiating their contracts, uh, getting them benefits, this kind of thing. And this has been something that the right wing has really tried to attack because uh, public sector unions are actually far and away the strongest stronghold of the union movement right now in this country. About 35% of public sector workers are in unions, and conversely, under 7% of private sector workers are in unions. So to the extent that the right wing wants to attack the union movement, they see the public sector unions as important to attack, as playing important political roles, as getting involved in political campaigns, as supplying both both, you know, money and resources, typically to the Democratic Party. Um, and the right wing has decided as part of their attack it, to attack public sector unions and try to weaken them. And, uh, you know, you saw that in Wisconsin with this Governor Scott Walker. Uh, and that was one of the things they tried to do in, in Wisconsin, is to weaken the public sector unions. So coming back to the Fredericks case, this uh, case is brought to try to reverse the prior Supreme Court decision that's been, you know, the law for 40 years and to make it illegal um, for a union to charge someone who's not a member any kind of service fee at all. In other words, 
in the public sector, if you're in a group that's represented by a union, if you're in a bargaining unit, you don't have to join the union. And under the Frederick's case, if you don't join the union, the union can't charge you anything to represent you, even though you're still in the group that's getting the benefit of the union's work. So it would reduce the resources available to unions and weaken unions, and the idea is just that, to weaken public sector unions. The right wing pitches it as a sort of a freedom issue, of course, like they always do, like people have the freedom to have no health care and, you know, sleep under the bridges, as they say. So the right wing pitches it as a freedom issue that people shouldn't have to pay any money to a union if they don't want to and if they're not a member. And, of course, the union movement says, listen, a majority of the workers have chosen the union. They want their group represented by a union. And this is only fair that you're going to get the benefit of that. You should help pay for it. So that's the issue in the Frederick's case. Can you charge someone who doesn't belong to the union but is in the bargaining unit represented by the union any money at all? The hope is that uh, from the right wing is that they can win that case and that it will strike a strong financial blow against public sector unions. Now, what happened with that case was the case went up to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, which is our area, and the actually the union side won. And then they appealed the case, the losers appealed the case to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court accepted it. And then what happened was Scalia passed away. The result of that was that the right wing was not able to win on this issue in the Supreme Court in the short term because the vote came out four to four on the case. And if it's a tie at the Supreme Court, whatever the lower court decision was still stands. And the lower court decision was in favor of the unions. So people actually felt at least when Scalia passed away that that was, that was a break for this, for this case. But what happened, of course, as you know, Sylvia, is after Scalia passed away, the Republicans managed to steal the Supreme Court nomination from Obama, and he wasn't able to put someone on the court, because if, if Obama would have put someone on the court, then if the case or a similar case got to the Supreme Court, say, next year, it would be in, in front of a court that was a little more liberal. It was five to four in favor of maybe the unions instead of the anti-union forces. So that's what people were hopeful would happen. But instead, of course, the, the Republicans stole that pick from Obama and, and roadblocked him. And then now Trump has gotten this right-winger Gorsuch on the court, and I think there's every reason to believe he'll be as bad as Scalia. So now if, if that case gets back to the Supreme Court again, I think there's reasons to be very pessimistic. It won't be Frederick's, but it'll be there are other cases percolating in the court system that are the same legal issue that will get to the Supreme Court. You say it will not be the Frederick. That means that they will not have the right to appeal or will there have to be another case similar? Right. The Frederick's case, in a sense, is over in that because at the Court of Appeal, uh, the decision was in favor of the unions and then the Supreme Court could not issue a decision because of the four to four tie. The Court of Appeal case is final, and that's the decision in Fredericks. But from a point of view of public sector unions, it doesn't really matter because these cases can be brought against other public sector unions in other places. And there's a couple of other cases that are, that are percolating in the system that raise the same legal issue. And the belief is that the Supreme Court will accept one of those cases, and they can act. And, of course, if they act, it'll cover everyone in the country. So it will... It'll affect all public sector unions, whether it's the Frederick's case or I think the new case is called, I think it's called Janus, J-A-N-U-S, but I'm not positive. The problem raised by the Frederick's case will get to the Supreme Court, and I don't think there's any reason to be optimistic that Justice Gorsuch will come our side of the four-to-four tie. 
Well, thank you. Are there any final words you would like to tell our audience in terms of union, union organizing? How can people fight back some of the changes that might take place? Well, I, I think that I've always believed that, you know, the courts really do pay attention to what happens in the streets. And I think that the, the, the best response is kind of what you're seeing, organizing and fighting back through political activity. I mean, ultimately, a lot of what I do is affected by what's happening in the political world. And I think we all, lawyers and non-lawyers, have to, you know, recognize that we need to change the politics of this country. And I think that's where workers' rights will be... Uh, be then more favored and more supported and support campaigns like obviously the fight for 15 and i think uh, activities that are directly focused on workers rights but i think in general it's about building the progressive movement thank you wow fredericks versus california teachers association i invite i invite anyone within earshot to uh investigate that case and we need your help but welcome back to full circle here on kpfa That was another one of our freedom fighters, Sylvia Torres, with an interview with Jonathan Siegel, labor lawyer. We'll be right back after this break. of a soldier, tats of a gangster, just one of many men, standing on a work line, looking for any opportunity, it's hard times, they say a day's worth of labor for a day's wage, but to me it's reminiscent of the slave days, no workers' rights, no advancements, they take advantage of the poor circumstances, think about it, who builds the roads and the houses, who paints and cleans when you really break it down to the heart of it, the black and the brown, most often, work like a slave from the cradle to the coffin. Life or death at the mercy of the bosses Flashbacks of how we got sold at the auctions It's really no different They took off the chains, but our brain's still ignorant But who's the real immigrant oppressor? They don't want to deal with the question The land you stand on was stolen from our ancestors The true owners Both the laws in Arizona This land is our land from the block to the borders Now as an outcast I was born Wasn't warned of the harm That would come and meet me In the form of our family form Indido por el government Now they call me immigrant Living in Ratfield, Oakland tenements. No quisimos venir, not stole public land. Les gusta la cultura while they bite our working hand. Every shade, brown skin, woman, child, and man. Doing what most people want when taking care of the land. Our backbone strong like an ox with its yoke. But depression's in the air and the gulf, no joke. Gold boat won't float, scapegoat the brown folks. So people don't choke on the horse long broke. La chota, la migra, la misma porquería tenemos. Africa, Asia, America, familia, tenemos. La chota, la migra, la misma porquería, tenemos. Africa, Asia, America, familia, tenemos. Trying to fight terrorism, not knowing who the enemy is, the immigrant. Everybody making fun of them. First they search them, next thing is work them. Hurt them and hurt them and don't want to nurse them. What is America without an immigrant? No cheap labor, nobody else for 
for the quick fix. This is cemetery that we walking on. Our grandpas, our grandmas, buried under shopping malls. They call it homicide. We call it genocide. If you feeling what we feeling, people put your fist high. Because we children of immigrants eat off of immigrants like the buffalo. It was sacred Moving to Indians. Moving packs, Operation Wetback. Send back all of those who don't resemble that. Brown, black, mixing like a Haitian rap. Floating on the interlude. Trouble waters get a clue. Passing through on the inner two. Plastic island oil spilling too. What you gonna do when they come for you? In them black boots, in them blue suits, in them white hoodie suits. Bearing crosses like a thief next to Chewie. Shit, stomach full of salt water saved by a buoy. And a lighthouse, skinny racer. Use the whiteout, boil in the melting pot. But watch the bleach spills and other heat. Cause you just might put your eye out. La migra, la misma porqueria tenemos. Africa, Asia, America, familia tenemos. La chota, la migra, la misma porquería tenemos. Africa, Asia, América, familia tenemos. Esta canción está dedicada a todos los inmigrantes, hijos de inmigrantes, estudiantes inmigrantes. Gracias por su corazón, su trabajo. Welcome back to Full Circle. This is 94.1 FM KPFA. That song that we just heard was Corazón by, by Brown Flaw. I'm sorry, Brown Buffalo. <laughs> If you're just tuning in, we're talking about workers' rights. Yes, workers' rights at a time where everything that is coming to us, it's kind of unnerving. Um, not only the problems we're talking about today, we're also going to be talking about the, some of the solutions. And in this time of trendy crisis, it is important to reflect on the struggle of some of the underserved members of our communities. And ideally, what can we do to help? Our very own David de la Grand sat down with the Western Service Workers Association to talk about their contributions to this solution. You're working hard to make ends meet. You're balancing basic necessities and survival with the demands of the economy and labor. One slip, one illness, and now your utilities are in danger of being shut off. What do you do? Who do you turn to? This is one scenario that currently confronts the lowest paid laborers in the USA. And it's one that is much more common than you may think. I met the Western Service Workers Association at the Martin Luther King Jr. Day rally in Oakland, California. And they are here with us today to talk about this. I'm here with Olivia and Kevin of the Western Service Workers Association. So, Olivia, hello. Welcome. Hi, David. Thank you. Kevin, hello. Welcome. Thank you. So, you guys are involved um, with this association. Uh, tell me a little bit about the association itself And then we can continue. Excellent. Um, well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you so much, David, for having us come to speak on your program. You know, this is a really excellent opportunity to tell your listening audience about the Western Service Workers Association. You know, we're an entirely volunteer organizing drive of low-income working people, and we're fighting to eliminate, you know, poverty conditions for low-income service and domestic workers and other low-paid workers in the area. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the administrative assistant at the Western Service Workers Association. Administrative assistant? Yeah. Yeah? Nice. All right. 
right. And Kevin, what do you do? I am the benefit coordinator there. The benefits coordinator? Yes. Nice. All right. Cool. So this benefits uh, this benefits who? This benefits the... Sure. So our members are primarily... Um, in-home domestic care workers, you know, people that take care of the elderly and disabled in their homes. It's like, a state. Like CNAs and like... Um... They're, um, CNAs are more like private pay, typically. In-home care attendants typically aren't as as far as licensed as CNAs. They're, typically, these workers get paid um, sometimes even below minimum wage because of the way that hours are constructed. But it's also like service workers, like people that work in the restaurant industry, people that work in the quote-unquote gig economy, you know, for Uber and Lyft and Amazon... You know, people that kind of are told that they're going to be their own entrepreneurs and get to make their own schedules, but usually end up working less than minimum wage because of, you know, wages that the temp agencies take out of their out of their paychecks or because the workload is often far more than what they can accomplish in the, the space of time that's allotted. For example, we have a member who works for Amazon and she would have to drop off to stop at 200 places to drop off packages for Amazon and she would get paid $165 for dropping off 200 packages. And they told her you can do it in 10 hours, you know, so you make 16.50 an hour. It's great. But it does, of course, it's going to take a lot more time than 10 hours to just make 200 stops, you know, and yeah. make sure everyone gets all the right packages and stuff. And so that's what we're seeing a lot. Yeah. Of. So, I'm, so I'm getting that scope of like of the people that you serve. How are, are we involved in, let's say, servicing the service worker? OK, well, since our organization is all volunteers, we take care of our members. And so when. You have a job and you don't have health care insurance or anything like that. We have a preventative health services. You can go to the dentist, eye doctor, things like that. Also, we have um, emergency food. And then on a larger scale, there's another benefit program. And so I like to say, you know, my job is as I take care of our members. And so I have to coordinate all those services to make sure that we can fight the fight. You know, we make sure that, you know, people can see and they, they can eat and they have strength to do what they need to do. And so what are some of these services that we provide to the service workers? Well, they can range from a haircut. We have a person that does haircuts um, and it could be something of a surgery, you know, a donated surgery, a person or one of our members, they had a hernia. Um, and I look at it like this. is anything that a human can need, I'll try to fit it and try to work it so that um, the need is met. Yeah, it sounds like real life, yeah. right? Like yeah. when you're dealing with real life issues, uh, you, and you mentioned a haircut, um, a hygiene, food, sure. you know, dentistry. Yeah. yeah, all these things are important yeah. and expensive. Yeah, exactly. And so like a lot of so um, a lot of service workers don't get benefits, right? So we specifically organize workers that have, you know, by all practical means been excluded from labor laws, i.e. they can't be in unions so they're you know completely you know an amoeba you know and don't can't band together and fight for their rights mm. and so we go directly into this sector which is more and more people right because they don't have benefits we have to create them ourselves so our benefits program is completely mutual self-help you know and that's the key is that it's not about like necessarily doing charity or handouts we teach people to take back what's rightfully ours you know healthcare is a right food housing legal advice you know um, child care, 
living wage jobs are basic human rights. And that's the core principle of what we teach people is that, you know, we're a lot better than just getting a food box every now and again. We can really organize and take back what's been stolen from our communities. And we teach people that every day. So, like, we have all these benefits, but the number one benefit that we provide is the benefit of organization, first and foremost. And that's never going to go away. We've been around since 1975. Mm. And how do you get your, how do you source, like, what is needed out of the community? Yeah, great question. So, one, we have an office, and we're open every single day from 9 to 9. It's a real place that people can come through, um, you know, when things go wrong, when they have their power turned off, when they're about to get evicted, when they're hungry. And so we, you know, have Kevin helps run the benefit advocacy sessions. So we help, like, teach people how to organize these resources, do advocacy for other members to get their power or water turned back on. We, you know, we're into, we're completely immersed in the realities of poverty every single day. Um, you know, our members come to this organization knowing that it's a place that's really going to fight for our rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a couple of times about uh, getting the water turned off. So tell me a little bit more about that. How do you help people with that? Well, once upon a time, you know, the water crisis issue, it was few and far between. But we see it just like every day. People can't afford their water. For every $100, 30 of that's for water. The rest of it is for uh, for sewage and treatment and stuff. So people get their, their water turned off, and we go at it when they come in. It could be anything from non-payment of a bill to a piracy charge. If, if you turn it on yourself. First time. Yeah. Because, and what's interesting is that, so, you know, we have an office, which we always need help with volunteers, by the way, because we're entirely volunteer run, and we get like 30 cases a week, and just to give an example of a case, we had this family of eight that came into our office, like, the day before Christmas, like, super, like, poignant story, right, and they had had their water off um, for, I think, at this point, for a month, uh, they had a $3,000 balance, and of that, only 700 of it was actual water usage fees, the rest was deposits and late fees, like bounce checks fees, you know, the water piracy th- fee, you know, that just added up and ballooned up to $3,000. And East Bay Mud wouldn't take a cent less to turn their water back on besides the $3,000. And it took us about three weeks, but we were finally able to negotiate and get their water turned back on. But then there's also the policy change behind that too, right? So we do, we've gotten about 500 families water turned back on by the individual advocacy in the last couple of years, which is pretty impressive. Um, um, however, there was over 9,000 homes that were shut off by East Bay Mud last year from running water. Uh, so we've been we've mobilized to the board, you know, I think, six times over the last few years, and been bringing up these concerns like the water theft, pe- you know, the water theft penalty fee, the piracy fee, and the board themselves have even said that uh, that the administration's usage of these policies are criminal. But we haven't seen any material changes. You know, they've said like, "You guys are great. We want to make sure that there's zero percent of our customers living without running water. But what are they doing right now? They're increasing their rates 19% starting this summer. You know, so it's like, you know, actions speak louder than words. And is this something that your that you and your organization and you and your, you and your fellows is this something that you focus like a lot of your attention on? Have you seen like an uptick then in these things? I think it's like a combination of like the cost of living getting more and more insane and also uh, people's wages, you know, stagnating or even going down 
And also they were getting more notoriety for being known as the place to come to when their water is being turned off. For We're getting referrals from all kinds of agencies that normally pledge, you know, money to people's accounts uh, to pay off their water bill. But they're getting, you know, less and less funding. The need is greater and greater. And we're entirely volunteer. We don't take any government funding. We don't have any money to give, but we know how to fight and we know how to not back down from these companies. And that's something that's absolutely inexhaustible. And so the- the goal is when people come in is that they participate in the advocacy so that they can t- learn a skill. And, you know, oftentimes um, there's a disconnect when people, you know, call a utility company or whatever. And I can't talk to that person. They were mean to me. We teach people how to be persistent. Yeah, that's how, you know, I got the name Billy because I'll wait and wait, you know, and um, I don't have nothing to do because that's what I'm supposed to do until something breaks. I would say. Right now, we have a, like a 97% mm-hmm. success rate. Right? Yeah, and like there's like only two requirements to be a member of WSWA, and that's, you know, that you agree that we're stronger working together than standing on our, on our own, and that you agree with the principles of the organization, you know, which is that the people most oppressed, the people most lacking rectification should be the ones leading the change for um, redressing that lack of rectification, because they know exactly, you know, what that feels like. And so we really, you know, fight to train, like Kevin was saying, uh, to teach people like that um, we don't have to take this from these huge, you know, private industries that we can really band together as a community and as a workforce and take back what's rightfully ours. And mm-hmm. sometimes, well, more than sometimes, you don't know until you're in it. So if you experience a thing, um, I came three years ago, I had a pdg issue and, you know, I was going to just stick around for like 30 days after, but it's been three years. The goal is to Get that water turned on. Get those lights turned on. You know, that water, it's life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like a large scope. It sounds like a large undertaking yeah. um, for you. Congratulations. <laughs> and, uh, in, in, in you know, conceding to that effort. Tell me a little bit about um, how the audience can reach you. Yeah, great question. So our phone number is 510 832 2111 and we're open every single day from 9 to 9 but the phone is answered 24-7 so don't be shy. We're also located at 12th and Peralta in the heart of West Oakland about less than a 10 minute walk away from the West Oakland BART the address is 1141 Peralta Street. Um, so, yeah, call, come in every time anytime we need advocates, we need canvassers we need drivers, there's no shortage So whatever your skill set is, yeah, we have people who cook I used to cook. I've done a lot of things there. We have people who type, who file, who do advocacy. We have people who um, pick up donations, food, and we have people who escort disabled or handicapped or elderly people, you know, take them on a walk down the street, you know. So whatever the need is, we try to uh, fulfill it. We, whatever, you know, we can organize all the resources that we all need. We live in the Bay Area. There's no shortage of resources. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of organization. Right. You guys, this has been a very fun time. I've had, I've had a lot of fun talking to you, and I hope to get you back on the show again. Yeah. Tell me your names again, and thank you so much <laughs> for coming again. Olivia Rodriguez. And my name is Kevin Holden, a.k.a. Billy. And thank you very much, David. Um, yeah, call us anytime. Anyone that is able to help, there's no shortage of need. Well, there you have it, folks. A good tree is known by its fruit. 
a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. You can give them a call if you have a need or wish to volunteer. 510-832-2111. This is David de la Gran wishing you the best. Muchas gracias. Back to you in the studio. Well, you know what? I might take them up on that offer. I'm, you know, because that is, sounds like a very, very helpful program. Yes, what a wonderful way of building community in times of need. Yeah. Yes, it is, Sylvia. But welcome back to Full Circle. This is your host, Dennis the Menace Roos, and that was our fellow apprentice, David De La Gran, with his interview with Western Service Association, who seems to be a wonderful group that if you have any skills that can be used, they could use your help. And that goes back to a saying that my grandmother used to use, that many hands make for light work. And that is the mindset that we need moving forward, putting the common, uni back, common unity back in community. Together, the ants will conquer the elephant. Okay, we're going to take a very quick music break with Dead Prezd, who consists of M1 out of Brooklyn, New York, and Stickman, originating out of Tallahassee, Florida, a very conscious music group that has really made an impact on my life and the way that I look at the world. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, Dead Prez with the song called W4. Very pertinent for the show. Yeah. Going out. We like this J up right here. For all the hard work and fun. Across this country, across the world. Auntie, everybody on the grind every day, 9 to 5, 8 to 12. What you do is just, you know how we do it. Hand to hand, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Like this world just don't want us to grow. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Wanna run up in the White House and get in the door. What in the go eat when the refrigerator empty? Work all week, let the boss man pimp me. Can't pay no rent to the 15th landlord. Call the police to evict me. Looking for a job and it won't ask. Have you ever been to jail? No, they gon' ask. Ever took a sick test that you didn't pass in between jobs in the past? How you get cash? I done worked over high-ass stoves. I done picked up trash off roads. Wintertime in the streets in the cold. Many time in the sleep in my clothes on the floor. But you know by being poor. Seeing most of your kinfolk be on dope. Ain't nobody in the hood got no hope in the hope. up system and that's why we don't vote. Still paying against folks. 25. How are we supposed to survive? I'm close to the edge. Government taking most of my bread and taxes. Might as well have a toast to my head. Making me get on a while out. Run up in the White House with the gauge out. Click clack. Give me my fish back. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Like this world just don't want us to grow. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Wanna run up in the White House and get in the door. Whoa, 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 whoa. Know my uniform, just enough. 
number on a W4 phone. See where I'm from, it's a few ways out. Either rap, the sports, either dope, or the casket. You can work to the bone, but I take it, please don't put all your eggs in one basket. We don't never get a piece of the pie. Work 50 years, retire, then die. Stay poke. Rich folks is a criminal, but you don't want to hear me though. So thank God it's Friday. Ain't what we live for. Gotta get up out the plantation. Same job that my pop had before me. I'ma pass it down to my seat. Oh, up situation. Make a nigga wanna wild out. Run up in the White House with the cage out. Click, clack. So give me my issue back. Yeah. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. I ain't telling you nothing you don't already know. I've been working all my life, but ain't got nothing to show. Wanna run up in the White House and kick in the door. Whoa, really though. Welcome back. You're listening to Full Circle, 94.1 KPFA. I hope you enjoyed that quick music break by Dead Prez. <laughs> he said that he was just a number on a W4 form. Oh, wow. I thought that that was pretty deep. But up next, we have we have something that I have been noticing on my mind for a while. Um, is that the interaction between humans has decreased and human interactions has decreased and more and more relying on artificial intelligence. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. And I, I encourage you to turn away from whatever distractions that may hinder you from noticing the change in our reality for a moment and pay attention to the future for mankind for nothing will be the same as it was ever again. Here are some of my thoughts on the future of labor and technology. Now as we stand in the face of all this new technology, no matter how you look at it, it's coming fast. And no one can change the fact that a lot of it is here already. And now that Pandora's box has been opened, we are not going to be able to close it. Now is the time for humanity to step up to the plate to make sure that we as human beings have a secure place in this world. Jobs are being outsourced, downsized, or scaled back at a phenomenal rate. We are literally walking on eggshells, and you can feel it in your heart that the world is changing. You also see it just as soon as you walk outside your home or even look at your local news program. You can see the number of homeless encampments spreading throughout the major cities in America. The homelessness epidemic is not just what they tell you on the local news or some statistic or percentage they create. It is real people being thrown away and ignored by society. The more and more these technologies come online, reality will change for most people. The jobs once taken for granted will no longer be available to help feed your family. Something as simple as going to the local locksmith and getting your key copied has been taken over by technology. Now you can go down to your local hardware store, 
and copy it yourself with no human interaction. Imagine that something as simple as having an actual person copying your key has been taken away by technology. And something that is getting more and more noticeable is automation. Automation is the first step in the process towards AI, artificial intelligence, which is the direction that we are heading in in a very fast rate. You can try and take a stand and try not to use anything automated by using a service person, but they are making it very difficult. Even at the supermarket, they will have a slow-moving line with human interaction. They will have five or six checkout counters, but they will only open one or two with a real person. So that is very time-consuming to choose to speak with a human being. Of course, they could just open up the other lanes. However, they would have to pay people's wages and benefits. But they couldn't have that now, could they? And they do this just to push you into an automated reality. And they try to make it so inconvenient to deal with a human where you simply don't have a choice. They are forcing you to do things automated, and I believe there is no way around it. Most notably, the job that will be taken over by automation within the next few decades will be any job where you once needed humans to deliver goods or even deliver people with the integration of autonomous driverless vehicles, which they are successfully testing right now as we speak, which alone will cause massive unemployment. Amazon has huge warehouses that once used human labor are now ran by machines. Airplane pilots, ship captains are all being replaced by automation. Soldiers in the military being replaced by drones. Except for a small supervisory role, pretty much anything in security will be replaced under the guise of making you safer and saving lives. When you sit down at a restaurant, you have a kiosk sitting in front of you that you will use to order your food where you once needed a server. Bank tellers have given way to ATMs. Switchboard operators and secretaries have given way to voice recognition technology. The fact that AI can understand and respond to human speech is a major red flag. They have robots that work in hospitals that carry meals to patients, soiled items to the laundry, and medicines to doctors and nurses. They never get sick, and they never complain. Technology throughout history has constantly replaced manual labor, however has also created jobs at about the same pace. But where we are right now in history, this time is noticeably different. The pace in which jobs are being created by technology falls far behind the pace in which they are being created by technology faster than ever before in history. People who make their living gathering and analyzing information are in the crosshairs of artificial intelligence. Just with a simple piece of software, making job loss inevitable, and these cuts will not be temporary. Technological unemployment, job loss, and underemployment created by the ripple effects of innovation is likely to become one of the greatest challenges facing humanity in the next few decades. Humans are being squeezed out of this economic system where you need to pay to be alive. But the means to produce that income are becoming less and less available. So I believe we need to put away our differences and unite as one and set aside our petty grievances, because I'm sure we will not like the alternative if we go about business as usual. That is the phenomenon called technological unemployment.
Take time out and ask yourself, is your job at risk? Believe it or not, folks, the future is now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. That was a piece on technological unemployment. When I wrote this piece, it really got to, it got me to thinking, how do you get your children ready for a job or a career that may be taken over by a robot within the next couple of years? For sure within the next decade, within the next decade, like what major should he or she pursue in college? Kids graduate from college with masters or PhDs in their chosen field, only to find out there are very few openings on the field. It's it, very difficult to find a job. No matter what any politicians tells you, you folks there are so, there are some jobs that once gone will never return. It's not immigration. It's not the stock market. It's technological unemployment. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to the end of our show tonight. But before we say goodnight, we want to make a couple quick announcements. This weekend, the Berkeley World Music Festival is happening. It kicks off tonight with a gathering at La Peña at 8 p.m. If you're in the area looking for something to do, just swing on by there. The rest of the festival is Saturday at MLK Civic Center Park and Sunday at People's Park and other venues on Telegraph Avenue. Check it out, berkeleyworldmusicfest.org for more details. The San Francisco Black Film Festival starts next week, June 15th through the 18th. The festival will be taking place at various venues located in San Francisco. There will be special events and a filmmaker's lounge for media types to socialize and network. Check it out. SFBFF.org for more details. Tomorrow, residents of Antioch have the chance to come out and meet the first African-American police chief of Antioch. They will answer questions on general public safety, including the topic of ICE and the ways in which the police will or will not interact immigration for a moment. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember, if you are listening, you are the resistance. And if you want to hear more on the labor picture, you can always tune in to Work Week Radio with Steve Seltzer right here on 94.1 KPFA, 94.1 KPFA at 3.30 p.m. every Tuesday. Thank you again to Audio Desperado, David Lagrant, and Sylvia Torres for their wonderful pieces. The Texas executive producer for Full Circle is Miss M. Our technical director for, is Free Will and Franklin Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. Thank you for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Next week, we have a special show for all the fathers on their special day. So tune in. La Onda Bajita is next. And before we leave, we want to thank Cats on the Board. For yes. first time. Her first time. Good job. Uh, all right. For all of us at Full Circle, I am Dennis the Menace Roos. And I am Silvia Torres. 